Lord, I just come before you right now, and I thank you that um, you're here with me and you're helping me do this. And I just thank you too, Lord, that I cannot do this. I can't speak anything that's going to change anybody's hearts, um, that's going to empower them, God, to, to live in the power of your might and your glory. I can't change hearts, but you can. And you can use this time right now, Lord God, between <clears throat> the words you give me to speak and the attitude of the heart that you're going to give to the people in this room and just the ways that your spirit is going to speak um, from me and listen and the people in this room. And I just pray that right now, Lord God, you'd have your way. I pray that you'd receive all the glory. And most importantly, Jesus, draw us into deeper intimacy with you and help us to see the surpassing worth and greatness of, of knowing you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> all right, we are actually going to jump right into things. So if you guys would all open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Today we are going to talk about weakness and shame and brokenness and all kinds of fun, lighthearted topics. So you guys ready for this? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to start uh, 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to start on verse 7. So Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God had given him, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So a little background on this. Um, it's been a bit of a rough couple weeks for me, just working through some things. I went, to, I went to a men's retreat a couple weeks ago, and they taught us some really cool stuff. But um, as a result of this men's retreat and learning all these things, I realized that there are a lot of ways in which I stuff emotions. So the past couple of weeks, I've been trying not to stuff emotions. I've been trying to go to the Lord with the things that I'm feeling and, and working through instead of just, well, I don't feel that. I'm going to just pretend it's not happening. And that's been hard because I'm realizing there's a lot in there that I've, I've not dealt with. And so it's been kind of tricky and honestly been wrestling with a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things, a lot of emotions just with the Lord, you know, working through some of that. Like, okay, God, I've never dealt with this before. Why, why am I feeling this? Or why did I go through this? And sometimes I feel like really close to the Lord and intimacy with him. And other times I feel like frustrated, like, God, why is this happening to me? Or why did these things happen? And it's just kind of all over the place. Anybody relate to that feeling like emotionally all over the place? So um, one night, like, I think it was last week, I sat down to spend some time with the Lord, and honestly, I feel like part of my heart had been kind of like avoiding the Lord because I didn't want to open up and be vulnerable with him because I didn't want him to like dig up more of this stuff that was hurting and it was hard. But that night, I like, I felt really like I missed him, like I missed the Lord and I wanted to, to be with him. And so I went and spent some time and um, he, he showed me this verse and it really ministered to me and I had known that I was going to be preaching but I had, like, no idea what to preach on. I'd been praying for, like, weeks and weeks. Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to preach on? He wasn't telling me. And then he hit me with this, and he wants me to preach on this. This feels overwhelming to me because this is, like, something I've been working through the past several weeks, and it's hard. And the things that we're going to talk about today are going to be hard. And so I want you guys to know, like, before we dive into this, the Lord loves you. I love you. And I think what we're going to dig into here may hurt, and it may be painful. And I hope don't take this the wrong way, but I hope that it does, because if this is meaningful to you, 
Like there is going to be some pain and there is going to be some hurt here, but that's because the Lord wants to bring healing in that place where you feel hurt. Before we get into uh, things, I just kind of want to break this down a little bit. And we're just going to look at these verses again, seven through nine. I just want to point out a couple of things. Okay, he's got this thorn in his flesh. The purpose of the thorn, by what Paul says, actually twice at the beginning of verse 7 and at the end of verse 7, is to keep him from becoming conceited. God saw, I'm giving Paul these great revelations. There's the possibility of here of him. And that, that Greek word is actually like, think of myself too high. So for him to get a big head. So I'm going to, you know, allow this to happen in his life to keep him from getting to that point. Paul doesn't like this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, and we're not going to get into that. Um, he doesn't like it. I, anything called a thorn in the flesh, I don't think I would like either. It doesn't sound like fun to me. And so he asks the Lord three times, can you take this away? And so what does the Lord say? No, no. Um, and I want to ask you guys, have you ever had this conversation with the Lord? You're going through something really, really hard, and you're like, God, can you please just take this away? You know, maybe it's, God, would you take away this struggle with sin? You know, I, God, I, I, overeating or pornography or lust or anger or whatever it is, God, can you just take this away? Like, I feel like my Christian walk would be so much better if you would just take away so I never had to feel this temptation anymore. Or, God, would you bring me my spouse, right? I feel lonely, and I feel like maybe I'm never going to get married. Won't, won't just bring them. Like, I don't understand why you're, why you're waiting. Or heal my body. I'm sick, or I'm broken, or I have this, this issue in my body, and it doesn't function, and it causes me all this issue. We just took it away. God, it'd be so much better. Why? You're God. You're really powerful. Why won't you just take it away? Have you felt any of these things, wrestled with some of that? <clears throat> for me, I have wrestled with those thoughts and those ideas a lot in the past, and I think I read this verse, and, and sometimes I've read this, and it kind of makes me feel depressed because I feel like, okay, God's saying that his grace is sufficient for me and it's made perfect in weakness, but I don't feel like his power is coming through. I don't feel like he is me. I don't feel like it is enough. Like, I'm, I'm wrestling with this stuff, and I, I just feel broken. Like, that's, I, I don't see what God is doing, and so it can cause a lot of frustration in me. Um, and, and some of the lies, his grace is not enough. Um, it's not working for me, so maybe he doesn't love me. So maybe it's true, just not for me, because he doesn't love me, or maybe I'm not saved, or maybe I'm not worthy to receive his grace. Like, okay, yeah, this is true, but I had a really bad week this week, or I didn't do enough of this, or, well, I had this, like, this fall early in the week, so that's why like, God's withholding his grace for me right now, and we can wrestle with, with some of these, some of these lies. And for me, I was getting angry, honestly, like earlier in the week, uh, with with some of these things because <clears throat> I, I I don't know I was wrestling with with some of the stuff like God, wh why won't you take it away? Like why won't why won't you fix this? Why won't you help me? Why won't you overcome this? And feeling kind of frustrated and angry. And so one of the things I want to talk about, and I put it up here because I want us to kind of think in this framework a little bit as, as we get personal with some of these ideas. For me, I was getting angry with the Lord. And, and this thing here is actually something they talked about at my conference. It was kind of cool. The Christian counselor that was there was talking about these different things. And what he was saying was anger is almost, and this is really interesting, but anger is almost always a secondary emotion used to cover something else up. 
But he pointed out, except when it's righteous anger, which I thought was really interesting, because like for Jesus, he was angry because like they were profaning the glory of God because they were oppressing God's people. It's kind of an interesting distinction there, but anger is always second, you know, in, in, except in those cases. And we usually are using anger to cover up fear, fear, anxiety, stress, worry, whatever it is, because we don't, we don't like feeling that fear and that worry. And so it stirs us up. And so we can get angry and we use that as like a cover up. I know for me, like I recognized this pretty early on, like when I was a teenager, because I would feel, you know, sadness or um, anxiety, stress, worry, and I hated that. Like I didn't like feeling weak because those, those emotions made me feel weak and vulnerable and to be looked down upon. But if I could convert that to anger, anger seemed more of like a aggressive, like lashing out. I get to be the opponent instead of like the victim here. Um, but where does the fear come from? Where does the fear come from that we're wrestling with? And what he talked about is often, I'm not going to touch that again. <laughs> in, in these scenarios, usually the fear um, is a response to shame that we feel inside of ourselves. Um, and so Kate and I were talking about this the other day and kind of, you know, what does that look like? And um, one really weird scenario is for me, I can find myself getting really angry with my children when, when they're acting out, when they're, uh, Cooper's just going through a stage. I don't know if he's just like in a lot of pain because he's teething or what, but he's just constantly throwing fits. And I get really angry sometimes because it's like, it doesn't matter what you say to him that day, he gets really upset and he freaks out and he throws a fit and he's on the ground like crying. And sometimes it's because you're giving him something nice. Like, hey, Cooper, do you want a cookie? Ah! And he throws himself on the floor and he's freaking out. And I can get, like, frustrated, right? And I can get, and, and to the point, sometimes I'm getting angry, and I have to step back and, and be like, what? why am I getting so angry? It's really not that big a deal. Like, he's two, right? He's two. That, I mean, two-year-olds lack that emotional maturity, and sometimes they throw fits. And it'd be weird if it was a grown adult doing that. But he's two. And what we talked about and what I started realizing is I was getting angry because I feared the lack of control that I felt in that moment. And we're going to dig a little bit more into this as, as we go on. But for me, I'm realizing control is a really big deal. And I'm noticing this pattern in my life that when I feel out of control in a situation, I freak out. I don't throw a fit. I'm not like crying on the floor. But inside, I feel anxiety like a lot. And it's weird because I've never really noticed that before. I thought it was just like my personality. I'm a real like, I mean, that's just arrogant. But I can really, I don't know. I just thought that was me. Like, oh, I'm just like a really strong personality. I like leading. So that's just a normal thing. But what I'm realizing is when Cooper's throwing that fit, I realize in that moment I have no control over him. I can't control his emotions, right? I'm the dad. There needs to be you know, handling of the situation. But ultimately, I can't make him feel happy about obeying me. He feels upset right now, and I can't make him stop throwing the spit right now, and I hate the lack of control that I feel. And I'm realizing this stuff tracks back to, and again, we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more, but for, for me, that fear of control means I'm afraid. I'm afraid of not being controlled because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And it's because, for me, there's a lot of feelings of I fear rejection and abandonment. I feel like, honestly, there can be times that I feel this. I have, I have shame in the form of I, I feel like God can't love me. 
I feel like there are things that I've done in the past, you know, things that I've said or thought or done that have blown it for me and that God can't love me anymore. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but that, like, that has literally gone through my head. And I think that's like something I can really wrestle with sometimes. So when I make mistakes or when I sin or when I fumble, I really feel like, wow, see, I did it again. This is proof that I'm unlovable. God is going to reject me now. God's going to abandon me because he, he can't. Like, who could love me? Look, look at me, right? And so I have this shame, and so I constantly walk around fearing that if I can't control the situation so that people don't see that I'm unlovable, then they'll see that I'm unlovable, and they won't they won't love me, and I will be rejected and abandoned. And so instead of, like, dealing with that fear and going to the Lord with it, I get angry because anger, like, protects me from that feeling. Does that make sense so far? Okay, so we're going to... Um, we're going to keep going. So keep that in the back of your minds because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Um, But do we like, well, let's start with me. Based on what I just told you, do you think I like the idea of embracing weakness? What do you think? No, that's like contrary to everything I just said, right? Weakness is like the antithesis of, of what I need, right? Need, right? And so here's, I think, what the Lord is like starting to show me through this verse there have been times in the past, and I'm not like this anymore, I hated this verse. This is stupid. Like, because we're going to read later what Paul's response is, and I'm like, nope, no, this guy is, out. no, this doesn't make sense. There's no way that it makes sense to embrace our weakness or to brag about it even more so. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. So my question for us is, and, and for, for everybody in this room, do you like your weakness? And just kind of think about that. Think about the different areas where you felt insecure and you felt weak and you felt broken. Do you like that? Do you like being weak? Do you like needing help, like genuinely, not like, oh, can you help me like move the couch? But like I as a person in order to survive and be a whole and healthy human being need help. Do we like that feeling? No, we, we don't. At least I know, like, I don't, okay? And that's something I really wrestle with because one of the things they talked about this at the retreat that I went to is that connection is, like, a huge part of the human experience. And so many times, like, we make it our object in life to cut off all real intimacy with God and with other people. Um, so it's, you know, that's, it's a lot because I don't like needing other people. And I also don't like people knowing everything about me, right? But we were made, God said in the very beginning, like, it is not good for man to be alone, right? If we could do the whole loner thing, like, Adam could have just been Adam, you know, bachelor life forever in the garden with the lions and and the dogs and stuff. But he didn't do it that way (laughs) because (laughs) I read, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, um, (laughs) we need that, and we need to be fully known and fully loved. And it's cool because there's a passage in the Word that says, now we see in part, right? Like we're looking in a mirror, a dim mirror. But then we will know fully as we are fully known. Then we'll know fully, but now we are fully known. And we're going to get back to that too. We are wired. We are built for intimacy. Intimacy with the Lord and intimacy with other people. Okay, but that requ- true intimacy requires the other person to know you, 
not know the front that you put up, not know like the good parts of yourself because you're trying to craft this like public image of yourself, know you. And sometimes it's not even knowing what you think is the ugly inside of you. Like, because I'm realizing like in my relationship with Kate, she's really good, she knows me, and she knows these little details about myself, and she can pick up on things that I don't. And so sometimes it takes other people being in our lives to know us in ways that we don't know because we think, well, I'm this person. But they're like, no, you're not. Like, that's a lie. You're really this. Let's go back to the, to the passage. We're going to keep reading. <clears throat> so 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to start in 9. I'm just going to read that again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, it's an important word. Okay, because of what God just said, Paul's response is, I will boast all the more gladly. So what's his emotional state about boasting, about whatever he's about to boast? Gladness. Weird. He's going to boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Before I read, that word content, um, I think if you guys are in the NIV, it says, I, I delight in. <clears throat> that Greek word is the same word that God used when he came down from heaven after Jesus got baptized, and he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's the word that Paul is using here, which blew my mind and made me really upset because I was like, man, there's like no way to wiggle out of the like great emotional response that he's having to this right now. <laughs> For the sake of Christ, then, I delight in him. I, 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 am, I love this. I am content, and I delight in what? <laughs> Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why on earth would he do that? Because when he is weak, then he is strong. I want you to read that back to yourself. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> so, that sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, Paul is saying, like, I, I get strength out of this, and let's just kind of go through this. Verse 9, he's doing this so that Christ's power might rest on him. Verse 10, for Christ's sake, he's, he's doing this, okay? I think, one, it's for the glory of, of Christ because Christ is doing this, but I think also it's, like, for Christ himself. Like, I'm doing this because I want intimacy with Jesus, Verse 10 at the, at the end, for when he is weak, he is strong. So Paul is doing this to receive strength from the Lord in his weakness. That's awesome too. But then we go back to verse 7, and what did we say? He says it twice, to keep him from becoming conceited. So I want to ask you guys, who would like Christ's power to rest on them? That sounds awesome. Who would like Jesus and to glorify him by being a vessel of his power in your life? That would be awesome. Who wants to be strong? Even when you feel weak, that sounds awesome. Who wants to be, who wants to be kept from becoming conceited? Double hands. <laughs> that all sounds awesome. This is a beautiful, beautiful scripture, right? Um, but why don't, why don't we like it? Why isn't this like our lives? Why aren't we the ones writing that in like our social media posts and stuff. I want to read something to you guys. It's a quote, and this is trippy because I was preparing for the sermon yesterday, and I posted an article on Desiring God that was literally about weakness and how God wants to take your weakness. Shame is heavy, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's breaking the uh, whiteboard stand. <laughs> All right, let me read just a couple quotes from this article because they're, they're beautiful, and it just goes with the just awesomeness of, of this whole concept. One, God sees what we are in Him, not in ourselves. So when God looks at you, He sees what you are in Christ, right? And we're going to look at some verses that talk about who we are in Christ. Later they said, today if the Lord is calling you to a task to which you feel inadequate, and honestly, guys, for some of you, it's just living life. You feel like that's a task that's inadequate for you. Remember that the Lord isn't looking for your strength or bravery or natural gifts. He wants your reliance on Him. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And at the end, I don't know what this hymn is, but I want to go look it up later. Um, but as the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, beautiful, beautifully reminds us, all the fitness He requires is to feel your need of Him. These are really awesome truths, right? Amen? I want this to be real in my life, and I feel like it's not, and it has me like itching. Like I, I want to know why I, I don't like, I don't like this. Like I just don't. So, what I want to do is I want to read off, and I'm not going to name names, but Kate and I were talking and praying about this, and I have a list of just weaknesses represented by the people in this room right now, based on that list that Paul gave: weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Okay. This is, I mean, literally specifically about the people in this room right now, okay? Again, I'm not going to name names. I just want this to be real for you guys because I want you to think about this because this is important, okay? <clears throat> Feeling like a failure as a parent because you've blown it with your kids. You've done things and you've hurt them. You're seeing bad fruit in their lives. You feel like you've blown it as a parent. Having close family members reject you or reject what you live for. Abuse, sexual, emotional, physical, you feel like, I'm broken, will I ever be more than broken? Rejection and betrayal by people close to you, people that should have loved you and protected you, but they've betrayed you, and they've rejected you. Now, you mistrust people who do love you because you're afraid that they're going to do the same thing, and you're rejecting relationships that could be really good for you. Some of you have lost loved ones to death or to circumstances like that you were taken away, and, or they moved away, your children were taken away from you, or people in your family moved, and you've lost these loved ones, and you don't have that connection with them anymore. Financial struggles and uncertainties, right? things like my savings will run out, I will lose provisions, this situation will result not in my favor, and I will lose everything, and I won't be able to provide for what I need. Divorce, families falling apart, infidelity, serious illness, depression, your fathers have died, you've, um, you've lost the ability to have children, and you feel like that dream has been crushed in your life. Um, some of your dads have died, and you never got their approval. They never told you that they loved you or were proud of you. Um, some of you have reached out to people, even family members, for decades, and it seemed like God was really doing something, and then boom, those people were snatched away. And... And it seemed like it was all just gone and for nothing. Some of you has lost, has, are losing hope or you've lost hope for ever finding a spouse. And that's a dream that is in your heart. Um, some of you have been through surgery. You deal with constant debilitating migraines. Your bodies are broken. Maybe you have learning or mental disabilities that you were born with. Or for some others of you, you have unhealthy emotional and thought patterns because of trauma that was done to you. And so now you feel like your brain and your emotions don't work because of something that somebody else did to you. 
Some of you have suffered failures at your job. Some of you have walls in your marriage that make you feel doomed to live forever without love and intimacy. So when I say that we kind of hate weakness, that's for good reason, right? At least from one perspective on this, that's a lot. That is horrible. Like, all those things are ugly, ugly things. They're a result of the broken, fallen world that we live in, and they're hard, and they're painful. And I don't want to make that light, because I'm in that group, too. We've all had things happen to us, and we all carry weaknesses with us that are overwhelming. So what do we do with that? So what I want to do is I want to go back to this board again. As I was thinking, as I was praying a lot about this, I really feel like the Lord was showing me that for me and, and maybe for, for some of you, I think the reason that we don't like weakness is, one, because it hurts. Like, these things are painful. Like, they're physically and emotionally painful. Death is horrible, and it's wretched, and it's not God's, like, God doesn't like death, right? So these things, that that's one part of this, why we don't like weakness, but I think another part is shame. And so what I want to do is, for the sake of this conversation, I want to define shame as the idea that you are defective in some way as a person, okay? So you look at your life and you see things that you've done or things that have been done to you, and they leave you feeling like, I, there is something wrong with me. Like who I am, there is something wrong, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. What shame does, though, is when we feel like there is something defective and that there is something wrong with us, we then take that out into the world and we say, because there is something wrong with me, I can't be loved. Can anybody relate with that idea? Like, we are made to be fully known and fully loved, and here we are with this problem inside of ourselves, and we feel, I can't be loved. Like, nobody could love this. Nobody could actually accept this. If they knew who I really was, they would not love me. They couldn't, and I couldn't ask them to. Like, that's too much, right? And so we live in fear because we're trying to compensate for that defectiveness inside of us. We feel like if they really knew who I was, they would reject me, and I would never be loved. So at least if I can, if I can control things and control situations and, and control these things that are going on in my life or this person's life or, or this or whatever, I can make sure that nobody sees this, this de- defect inside of me, and I will protect that and guard that, and so I'll let them see these other parts. And for me, I've even gone so far as to like be super vulnerable about other things so that you never see this part because I can be the vulnerable guy that, you know, is open about these things, and so you're never going to think that there's more. And so we, we protect ourselves, and then we spend our entire lives trying to compensate for that defect inside of us. And so we, we get angry, right, when things, when we can't control things because we're afraid, because when that thing gets out of control, oh my goodness, what if somebody figures out who I am? Like, what if somebody sees this part of me? And it causes a lot of angst inside of us. The problem with this, guys, is when we're trying to like compensate for that defect and we're trying to do things to inject worth into our lives because we feel like we're not worthy, it just creates all kinds of problems. And the bottom line is we can't get away from this. We need to be loved. Like We were made to be loved. We're made for intimacy. We're made for communion. God is three persons, right? He's the Trinity. God himself, like in who he is, is 
intimacy, is love, is communion, and he made us in his image. We can't go around living life putting up walls and barriers and hiding who we are because we're fighting against who God made us to be. He made us to be relational people that love one another. Is that making sense so far? I'm going to start writing this stuff on the board. I think weakness makes us feel powerless, broken, needy, and out of control. I think for me, like, that's really true because when I look at these weaknesses in my life and these situations where I just, I, I feel broken, I feel weak, I feel inept, I feel powerless, I feel like there's something wrong with me, I feel like, man, why am I so needy? Like, I'm going to push everybody away and I feel completely out of control, right? In these situations in my life with the finances or with anger or this sin struggle here or whatever it is, I, 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 I can't fix this. I, I need to make it go away. I need to fix this. I need to deal with it, but I can't. And it keeps coming back over and over and over again. And then we get angry because we want God to just take it away because, God, why would you let this thing in my life that's threatening to expose me to everyone? Don't you want me to feel loved, right? If we take that idea of shame and we bring it over here to these ideas of, of weakness, you're taking somebody now who they're, they're spending their whole life, they feel like they need to hide and compensate for their defects or their defectiveness so that they can find love, then every one of these things is insane. And so the idea of Paul telling us to boast and rejoice in these things doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me for God to say, I want you to embrace brokenness. I want you to embrace powerlessness, because that's God telling me through this warped filter, God's telling me, I want you to embrace the fact that you're broken and that I'm not going to let you fix it, or I'm not going to let you hide it anymore because I want you to not be loved. And honestly, like, I've gone there with the Lord in the past. Like, I've gone, like, God, what, don't you see what's happening, God? Like, you're leaving this thing in my life, and I'm going to be exposed. And then everybody that loves me right now is going to leave me, and they're going to abandon me, and I'm not going to have that love anymore. And of course, I'm saying this to God who knows all these things, and that doesn't always register with me. But if we're looking at this through the lens of shame, when Paul says rejoice in these things, all we can see is these things make me feel worthless. These things make me feel hopeless. And again, think back to those weaknesses that I read off the list earlier. They make me feel hopeless. They make me feel ashamed of who I am as a person. They make me feel unlovable. Right? These things in my life have happened. I'm broken. Nobody can, nobody can love me. I'm not safe. Right? And so when we're out of control, we feel like we can't manipulate the situation the way we need, and we're not safe. We're exposed. We're out in the open, and somebody's going to see who we are, and they're going to have the chance to reject us. We can slip into self-pity. We can slip into despair, and, and, and we're left feeling really broken. Right? And what does this force us to do? It forces us further down this trail, and I didn't talk about these, but a lot of times what happens is if we don't deal with our anger and we let that sit and fester and we don't deal with it, it becomes resentment, resentment towards the Lord, which I, I've already touched on, resentment against other people because they happen to be there when these things keep coming up, and so you start to resent them, right? And one of the things the counselor said, which I thought was interesting, is that resentment always leads, and he said that like over and over and over again, always leads to entitlement. So if you don't deal with that resentment in your life, eventually we get fed up of feeling resentful and 
we throw it off and we say, you know what? And, and we honestly, we throw logic off with it. And we just say, I don't, look, I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not living in this misery. You owe me. I'm not going to feel bad anymore that, you know, I'm, I'm afraid or that you're exposing this in me. You owe me. God, you owe me. And we go like in really dark, dark places with this. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is, one, this has been really helpful for me in seeing some of these things crop up in my life, and it's making me ask really pointed questions of myself, and so I want that there for you. But also to help you guys realize this is serious, and I think for me, I've kind of justified in saying it's not that big a deal. Um, I can hide these things. I'll just, I'll deal with it, right? I'm strong enough. I'll get through this secret sin in my life. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. this part of myself that I'm ashamed of. I'm not going to bring it into the open. Does this sound like it's contained? Like, do any of these emotions sound contained to you? No. So we think that we're containing this and controlling it and, and handling it, but what's really happening is we're busting holes out of the hole of our submarine in other places, right? And it's like, I was talking to somebody about this, and they were like, yeah, it's like you're trying to put your finger in the holes over here, but what happens? We pop four more rivets on the other side of the hole, and now the whole, the whole ship is sinking, and you're making a hot mess of your life, Right? I just want to say that because the devil is going to try to lie to you if he's not already saying, you can handle this. Don't tell anybody. If you do, look at all these horrible things that will happen to you. Some horrible things might happen to you. You might feel a lot of pain in dealing with this. And I'm not going to like pretend that that's not going to happen. But you can keep doing what you're doing, and you will live a life of resentment and entitlement and bitterness. And the Bible says in Proverbs that bitterness rots your bones. Like bitterness has an effect on your body physically. God wants more for us than this, right? What did Jesus say? I've come to give you life and life mediocrely, life that's okay, like you'll survive, you'll get to heaven, it'll be great then. Life abundantly. Does this sound like abundant living? No. Does worthless, hopeless, ashamed, unlovable, unsafe, self-pity, despair, does any of that sound like abundant living? No. So what I'm going to do, I actually forgot to pull this out. We've talked about some of the, the lies and the emotions and the brokenness that we feel. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some, it's not direct passages, it's actually um, a snippet from that book, Victory Over Darkness, which I think we actually have in the back booth. These are promises and these are identities that we have in Christ according to the word. Before I jump into that, if you are not born again, and if you are not saved, if Christ has not come in and killed you, which I think is interesting, yeah, and birthed you into new life, then unfortunately, guys, like a lot of these negative things that I've just said are true. Because if you don't know Christ and you've not been born again, you are broken. There is something wrong with you. You were born into Adam and your heart is corrupt. Your spirit is dead. If you don't let Christ in, and save you, and, and make you born again, you will spend all of eternity here in brokenness, being alone, and you will never know true intimacy, and you will never know intimacy with Jesus, who is the one person in the whole world that will always love and always accept you, and he knows you fully, and so therefore he can fully love you. And so I just want to give that invitation. If you don't know Christ, and you've not been born again, don't keep living like this. Christ wants to come in and give you a new heart. He wants to kill this part of you that is ugly and that is worthless and hopeless and worthy of shame. And for those that are saved, I want to remind you that that has already happened. 
that part of you that you feel ashamed of is dead, right? The old is gone. Like gone like in the closet, like you can pull him out, right? Like he can bust out of the closet and take over again. No, gone as in dead. You have been crucified with Christ. And Paul says, it is no longer Paul who lived, but it's Christ. That's, that's you. If you are a believer, if you are born again, you are dead. And it's not you that lives anymore. That part of you that was deserving of shame is gone forever. And you're a new creation now. I'm going to read some things off of this list. Um, and if you guys want, I actually have a, I found this sheet. It's awesome. It's a one-page sheet, and it literally has 100 promises on it. Like, and it's actually like readable type. Uh, it, just, it was cool. Anyway, I'm just going to read through these, and I want you guys to just listen. And I want you to specifically think of the lies that you're feeling about shame, that you're defective and broken as a person, okay? And think about those things. Now think about what the Lord has won for you, because Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Everything that's wrong with you, everything that's ever wrong with you, everything that you've ever done that was deserving of shame, anything that's been done to you that's been deserving of shame, Jesus died for that. He took that punishment and he took that shame on himself when he died so that you wouldn't have to bear this anymore. And then he rose up from the dead to kill death and to overcome this so we don't have to live here anymore. And he stands victorious because he's sitting next to God in a place in a position of authority over his enemies, waiting for that to play out here on earth. He's already won and he's beaten everything. And we're in Christ right now, seated at the right hand of God. You are over the enemy and you don't have to listen to his lies because he doesn't have authority over you anymore. You're not any of those things anymore. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are a child of God. Think of the prodigal son story. Like, that's you. You are a child. Not just like a begrudging, like, oh, I guess I'll accept you. A, a child that he ran out to meet because he loved and missed so much. That's you. You're part of the true vine and you're a channel of Christ's life to others. You're Christ's friend. Not just like he has to be with you. You're his friend. You're chosen, like Meredith was talking about earlier. You are, or Kate was talking about earlier. You are chosen and you're appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. You're a slave, not of sin, not of shame, not of any of this, of righteousness. You're a slave to God and his beautiful, rich, abundant life plan for you. You're a son of God. God is spiritually your father. You're a joint heir with Christ. All the things that Christ stands to inherit, you stand to inherit with him. And when he comes in power and glory to create the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to be standing there like, that's my brother. That's, that's my guy right there, right? You are reconciled to God and you're a minister of reconciliation. Like we have been set free and reconciled. Not just like God forgave us, we're right with him. Like we are good. There's nothing in the way anymore. You're a saint all that stuff that says that you're broken and that you're wicked and there's something wrong with you, lies. You're a saint. You're God's workmanship. I want you to look at your life, and every time the devil tells you, look at what a sham you are, look at how horrible you are, he's talking about God's handiwork. That's who you are. You're not those things the devil says. You're something that Christ is working on right now. And you're born anew in Christ to do his work. You're a fellow citizen with Christ and God's family. You're righteous and holy. You're a citizen of heaven. You're hidden with Christ in God. You're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You're a son of light, not of darkness. You're a temple, a dwelling place of the Lord. You're a new creation. You're one of God's living stones. These are all what's true. This is not true. The fact that you are broken as a person is not true. It's not. Okay, all of these things that I just read, and if you guys want that hundred list thing, or if you want this, just let me know. You can come and take a picture. I can send it to you or whatever. So earlier we talked about weakness makes us feel these things. Honestly, guys, these things are probably true to some extent, okay? And I'm going to let you kind of discern that depending on the situation and what it is. 
But we are, guys, we are powerless. We, we lack the power. Christ said, apart from me, you can do no good thing, right? We need him. You are powerless to overcome whatever it is in your life. You are, like, in a sense, you are broken. We live in a fallen world, and Christ is still sanctifying you. Your identity is whole and in Christ. But yeah, Christ is still doing a work of sanctification. That takes time, and you need to be patient with God's timing, whatever that is. You are needy. God made you that way. God, he, he did, and he made us to need him. He made us with a giant hole inside of our spirits that can only be filled by his spirit, and you are out of control. You can't control other, and I've tried, and we try that so hard, right? We try to like control, but we can't. If we're really honest with ourselves right now and take a step back, we are out of control. We can't control the circumstances. We can't control other people. We can't control the outcomes. Is God powerless? Is God broken? Is God needy? And is God ever, 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 ever out of control? No. Where are you right now? In Christ. This is beautiful. And I talked about the other things make us feel worthless and hopeless and all these other things. If we can let God deal with the shame that is inside of us and these lies of shame in our lives, and honestly, use these different scenarios that you're in, use these emotions as red flags to help you go to the Lord and decipher what's going on inside your own head. If God can deal with the shame in our lives, we're going to see these ideas as beautiful because it's going to remind us that we're secure in Christ, not unsafe, not unlovable. It's going to remind us that we are priceless in the Lord's sight because look how needy we are and God still loves me. I literally bring nothing to the table. That's trippy. Like, imagine if somebody loved you like that. Like, you literally brought nothing to the relationship, but they still loved you enough to die for you. And, and then it's also going to remind us that we can be and we are fully satisfied in Christ. We don't need to compensate anymore. We don't need to cover this stuff up. We can find satisfaction in Christ. These things will make us feel beautiful because... Shame is what we once were, but look at what Christ has done in my life. And look at what God is going to continue doing in my life until it's done in heaven. And I get to stand before him as Christ is whole. And it's going to remind us that we are cherished. So all those other things, worthless, hopeless, ashamed, unlovable, if weakness makes you feel that way, I want you to pray about shame. Because God wants to take that shame away and convert all the, and I think it's awesome the girls are talking about like the glorious exchange God wants to take that ugly stuff that the devil is trying to use against you and convert that into these things, that you're secure, you're priceless, you're satisfied, you're beautiful, and you're cherished. What I want to do, there is a song. Um, there is a song by Cody Carnes, and it's called Run to the Father. So what I want to do right now, and, and I'll move the whiteboards out of the way, I'm going to play this song, and we've got the lyrics that are going to be up on the screens. We're going to turn off all the lights. I want you to go to the Lord right now. I don't know if anything I said today is resonating with you and you're carrying shame. I want you to run to the Father. There's a line in there that says, no reason to wait. There is literally absolutely no reason to wait. And if you're feeling that hesitation in you right now to wait for whatever reason, that is the enemy. Because God wants to take your shame right now. And I want to give us the opportunity as the song is playing do it at your seats, do it at the altar, but go to the Lord right now and give this to him and say, you know, whatever you need to, but something along the lines of, God, I feel like I am broken and unlovable and I am trying so hard to compensate for that. 
won't you show me that you've already fixed it and dealt with that issue and that you love me anyway and I am fully known and fully loved in Christ. Let me just pray really quick and then we'll start this. God, I just come before you right now and I thank you for everything that you accomplished through Christ in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension and seating at the right hand of God for us. And that in every way you have crushed the enemy under your feet, you have overcome sin and the grave, and we stand before you as believers in Christ, as regenerate, reborn believers. We're reconciled and we're right before you. So God, please, please, please deal with this shame. And I pray that you would give us hearts that are humble and, and, and meek and desperate. Honestly, God, desperate to come to you right now and lay these burdens at your feet and receive the love and the grace and the mercy. God, you, you tell us in Hebrews to approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We are in that time of need now and we need grace and mercy. So God, right now, we are going to boldly come to your throne to receive in Christ everything that we need.